Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. It's Thursday at 7 o'clock, so you know it's me, Michael Bumpus, and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live. Thank you for joining us tonight, Moyer. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's It's been a long week. Anytime coming off a loss, it takes a while to get the week going. But, uh, you know, now it's Thursday. It's sun's out. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. And, see, I've got another tough one. I, I know everybody just letting you know, Minnesota is 0-2. Both their losses on the road. Close. Total of four points. Yep, yep. So, before we get on Minnesota, we we still have to digest and talk about this loss real quick. No, let's just go on to Minnesota. Uh, we can't we can't do that, Moyer. <laughs> we have we have to live in the present. And now now they lost to the Titans thirty three to thirty in overtime, and it was really a tale of two halves. Right, the first half is twenty four to nine. You're feeling good. I saw a video of Pete Carroll getting the hype, the the crowd all hyped up going into halftime, and then you come out in the second half. And the Titans really dominated. They dominated the time of possession. They put together long drives. Derrick Henry had a huge play, a 60-yard touchdown to get these guys going. The offense only had the ball once in the third quarter. So that let you know right now that this Tennessee Titans team really controlled the pace of the game. They slowed it down. The first half, it was boom, 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 big plays, taking shots down the field. Second half, the Titans kind of took, took control and said, look, you're going to play our game now. Yeah, I, I remember us doing the halftime, uh, uh, you know, update, and we were up twenty-four to nine. So I felt good with the score, but Tennessee was getting the ball. We weren't, but I didn't feel good with how we were playing. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't sharp, and you know, they're they're going to correct all this too. And we went back through the film, and I go, oh my god, they have so much to correct. Monday was probably a, an interesting meeting day calling guys out and and what I mean by cleaning things up I mean just silly penalties um just not being attention to detail and we, we I can go through a bunch of those uh, as as we go so I wasn't comfortable with the way the game was being played I was just comfortable with the lead mm-hmm. but I also was going you know it's only two scores there you know I mean particularly with two point uh, conversions and stuff along the way and the time of possession was off the charts still in the first half for Tennessee. It's two games in a row. And so for me, the Seahawks you know, were just not, they weren't sustaining enough drives. I really did think defensively, though, they're going to have to throw the football. We're going to get after them. And obviously, that's not what happened in the second half. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Second half, Chris Carson also didn't touch the football as much. He did have two touchdowns in the first half, but um, that, that doesn't really reflect how he played or the opportunities that he got a positive Tyler Lockett had another great game over 170 yards two touchdowns excuse me just one touchdown but a long touchdown 69 yards another big play for 51 yards Russell Wilson played okay 23 of 31 343 yards two touchdowns I think when you think of the player Russell Wilson you just look at the overtime and you look at the three passing plays that the Hawks came out with while backed up and this week I've been on a couple of shows and they're always asking me who's to blame but who's to blame? I'm like, man, someone I, to blame. That, that was the team L, man. I mean, the offense Absolutely. played well at times. The offense did not play well at times. The offense gave up, uh, excuse me, defense gave up a whole bunch of yards. But when it was time and overtime to get the offense the ball, they gave the offense the ball. So I, I cannot place blame on one side of the ball. I say this was a true team loss. And that's not a cop out. That's really how I see it. Yeah, I can even throw special teams in there. You know, obviously the 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 missed extra point was huge. I mean, we we just scored again, which would look like we we're going to have a fifteen point lead, and that is 
that's different because now you do have to go get a two-point conversion at one one of those touchdowns if you're trying to catch up. Um, but we also had, you know, two two punts where they we they went into the end zone. You know, we didn't uh, uh, get them inside the, the plus 20, which changes field position on there too. So I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying no one really played exceptional. And even Russell, as, as good as Russell is, and, as, and again, I thought he played pretty well, he wasn't real sharp. At the mm-hmm. beginning, I mean, the first pass to DK Metcalf, you know, he's wide open on the sideline. He throws it a little high. He catches it out of bounds. So instead of that coming up third and two, third and three on the very first series, now we're at third and ten and we come up a yard short. And then uh, the one uh, where we got our opening field goal, you know, you got Tyler Lockett running a drag route across uh, the, the field uh, to our right, I guess, if you want to uh, do that from left to right. And Russell's rolling out, and it's a tough throw. I mean, mo- most human beings, that's a tough throw, but it's Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. I expect Russell to make any throw where there's a window open, and he was open. I, I guarantee Russell that I should have hit him. I- there's a game right there. I mean, there's four points. The extra point, there's five points. There's so many little plays in this game, and that's where why Pete, I guarantee Pete couldn't sleep because <laughs> he's going, the tension to detail, the yeah. silliness. I- I- after the game, we said youthful um, mistakes you know, along the way, and one of them was was Jordan Brooks. I mean, it's just the guy's two, three yards out of bounds, gives him the extra shove. All of a sudden, we get a fifteen yard penalty. So penalties. The beauty is we can clean all that up. Yep. That the talent's there. I mean, for us to jump out twenty four to nine, it means we're a good football team. I think the frustration is we got to start putting teams away. Mm-hmm. This is the NFL. Nobody goes away. Everybody's talented. I don't even care if it's Jacksonville, who we got later in the year. You better come with your A game. I think that's uh, that's probably was the message this week. You have to put teams away, especially a team like the Minnesota Vikings, who lost to the Bengals twenty seven to twenty four. That's three points. Lost to the Cardinals last week, thirty-four to thirty-three. That's one point, and had a field goal to win the game, thirty-seven-yard field goal, and just and the kicker just pushed it right. Yeah. So if there's any time to put a team away, you have to start this week and learn from your lessons from last week. And why? Because this is a good football team. They are zero and two, but they have some guys on this roster who can get it done. Say what you want about Kirk Cousins, Moyer. This guy keeps his team in the ball game. I mean. Um, I was on a podcast with Nasa Chobi. He said he has a QBR rating of 90 over how many years? It, spit that stat for us, Nas. Essentially, you, you date back to, I forgot what year it was, any quarterback who's had a QBR of over 90, active streaks, right? Number one was Peyton Manning during that Super Bowl run with the Broncos, that first run. Number two is Kirk Cousins. He has 16 straight games with a QBR over 90. Second best in NFL history. Second best in NFL history. Say what you want. He might not no. win the big games, but you know what? He'll win a couple games, and he'll tell you how you like that. Well, not only that, we know they've got guys they can throw to. I think that Justin Jefferson, the kid last year, was a rookie out of LSU. I mean, we saw him on film and went, whoa, okay, I see why they traded Diggs to Buffalo. Not that that was a good trade because Diggs is – they could have used him too. But, you know, you get a younger guy. you got Adam Thielen as well. You know, they've got – I mean, Dalvin Cook, who has a sprained ankle – you know we're going to be looking at their offense mostly mm-hmm. because they've got guys on the on the defense. They got a really good secondary. They've they've had it. We kind of had their number, um, even though every game seems to be close or you know comebacks. And this goes back to the playoffs a few years ago when they missed a, a an easy chip shot field goal probably to win it. Um, it's going to be a tough game. It's 
Minnesota's home opener. Mm. They're go- they are excited to be back indoors and have all the fans as well. It's a really good football team. And we said the same thing last week about Tennessee. Forget their loss. Forget how they got destroyed by Arizona. People make adjustments. This is the league of adjustments, and you got to be ready every week. You got to be ready to go. Positive. The Hawks are six and zero. Their last six against Minnesota. So there's some positives there. But you mentioned some of the guys. You got Osborne, who's leading the charge right now. The receiving core, 15 receptions, 170, 67 yards, and one touchdown. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, who just scores touchdowns. He's got three touchdowns, 131 yards. And Dalvin Cook, man, this is the second week in a row they're going up against a top five, maybe eight running back in the league. Now, their run game looks a bit different. There's a lot more power, a lot more trap, a lot more guards pulling, leading with fullbacks. They're going to have to get downhill and hit this guy. He has big play ability just like Derrick Henry. Well, he's also dangerous out of the backfield. They use him in the, in the, in the passing game. He, he's, he's got a sprained ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just reading that uh, the, he is expected to play. They're going to go with him. Uh, you know, look, it's hard to play in a sleep. You can get hurt in a game and play exceptionally well. It's hard to come during the week, be hurt, and then play a great game. Yeah. And, you know, the adrenaline usually gets you through a game when you're nicked up. It's much tougher going into one. So, you know, we'll talk more about the Seahawks, obviously, break that down uh, also. But, you know, just talk everybody off the ledge. We're going to be okay. It's we got a okay. really good football team. Yes. We just didn't close the deal last week. Got to close the deal. You have to uh, learn from your mistakes. That's why you have a week to prepare in football. You get to look at film, critique yourselves. Your coaches are going to critique you. They are going to challenge you. Pete's going to challenge Russ. Russ going to challenge his line. That's just how a functional team works. That is hey, what Bump, you do. Sorry, I'm going to jump in real quick before, before we go to break here. I just want to correct myself for everyone looking at their stats. It's the <laughs> longest streak of consecutive games with a 90-plus passer rating in NFL history. Not QBR. Passer rating. Passer rating. Peyton Manning is 23 in a row from 2012 to 2013. Kurt Cousins is number two all-time. 16 games in a row from 2020 currently active so we're gonna get a good game from more than likely as usual as usual okay when we return we'll get an opponent preview from matt caller from the purpleinsider.com that's next right here on hawks live hawks live every thursday from seven to nine live on air on 710 espn seattle Welcome back to Hawks Live with me, Michael Bumpus, and my guy, Paul Moyer. Every Thursday, we'll be right here. Now we get to talk to Matthew Caller from the Purple Insider. Matthew, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited for this game. It should be a great game. Now, the people out here who aren't really doing their homework on the Minnesota Vikings are going to see this 0-2 team and say, oh, yeah, they should get this win out. They lost close loss to the Bengals, close loss to the Cardinals, Tell me that this is a good football team, Matt. Well, I can't tell you for sure that it's a good football team because <laughs> there, there have been enough weaknesses, especially in their defense, to question. Now, it has been some bad luck. Uh, Delvin Cook fumbled in overtime to set up the Cincinnati win, and then a wide right field goal um, was the cause of the loss against Arizona. But they also gave up 61 points on defense, and Kyler Murray threw for 400 yards and probably could have put up more had he not thrown it right to a Vikings linebacker for a pick six. Um, So now they face a very similar quarterback, but a better version of Kyler Murray and, and Russell Wilson, which I think will be a very tough task for a defense that is supposed to be rebuilt and revamped and, uh, and brand new and shiny, but it hasn't really looked like that. It's looked a lot like last year. That said, 
the Vikings are very Tennessee Titans-ish. They run the ball extremely well with Delvin Cook, assuming he's healthy, he has mispractice, and they've been throwing the ball about as well as I've seen from Kirk Cousins. And so I think uh, their offense is a little more dynamic and dangerous than it was last year, and that would be, I think, the reason that Seattle should be concerned. You know, Minnesota's always been scary for Seattle. I mean, we've had some great games, you know, going back to the playoffs a few years ago in in Minnesota. Um, Let's 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 talk a little bit on this defense because their their rankings, as you just mentioned, they've they've given up some yards like the Seahawks. But man, it feels like on paper both of these teams defensively should be much better. Share where maybe some of that breakdown's going because they've got big names. No, you're right. Yeah, I think that the biggest issue is that uh, secondaries are kind of a weak link system. So if somebody is having a bad time, uh, the opponent will figure this out and attack them. And we actually saw that from Seattle a couple of years ago when Xavier Rhodes was trying to play through an injury and it seemed that the word was out and they just threw at him and threw at him and threw at him. And well, this year, I mean, it's been Rashad Breeland. It's also been a couple of communication issues. And when you add all new names to the secondary outside of Harrison Smith, they've all got to figure out exactly how Mike Zimmer wants them to play every scenario, every route combination, every situation. And what we saw last week was a couple of breakdowns can result in a 77-yard touchdown or something like that, and nobody's better than Seattle at taking advantage of a breakdown and having Russell Wilson drop a 50-yard bomb. Um, and I think that's the biggest concern for the Vikings. The other thing is, too, that you know there's big names, and Daniil Hunter has come back extremely strong, but there's also some guys that you go, eh, maybe that's not really going to work. I mean, they, they've uh, put their trust in a fourth-rounder, D.J. Wanham, to start across from Hunter. He's kind of been a no-show in these first couple weeks. Uh, their big idea in the offseason was to sign two, uh, well, to sign one run stuffer in Delvin Thompson and then bring back Michael Pierce, who is uh, sat out for COVID concerns from the year before. So their big idea was to stuff the run, stuff the run. And that means that you sacrifice something in the pass rush, right? And so I, I think we've seen a lot of clean pockets for opposing quarterbacks to take advantage. And even though they have all this talent, they have enough weak links to, to be problematic. All right, Matthew, I'm going to do something that we normally don't do. We're going to talk about kickers, man. Greg Joseph had an interesting Sunday. He missed a game-winning field goal, but he had a couple of 52-yard field goals. He also hit a big 53-yard field goal to force overtime in week one. How's the media treating this kicker over there in Minnesota? Well, I don't know how close you guys have followed the NBA, but there's been some drama here uh, with the NBA team that has caused sort of uh, Greg Joseph to maybe avoid being in the in the white. Uh, we may, may. thing that has haunted the Vikings for so long uh, with these kickers. Go back to Gary Anderson missing wide left in the NFC Championship game. You are very well familiar with Blair Walsh's miss in the playoffs in 2015. Uh, last year, Dan Bailey, a long-proven kicker, melted down for this team, and uh, they lost some games because of it. I mean, it's just been something that is so perplexing and haunting for this franchise that I wish I had an explanation But this year, they might have brought it on themselves. I mean, they had no competition at all for Greg Joseph in the preseason and training camp, which I don't understand because he hadn't kicked in the NFL since 2018. So I guess it wasn't super shocking to see a complete no-name kicker come up small in the biggest moment. But uh, I think Vikings fans mostly just kind of nodded their heads like, yeah, that's about what we expected from a kicker. Well, one person who's been pretty consistent is Kirk Cousins. And he, he takes a lot of heat, but, you know, he is... 
second all time for most quarterback or quarterback rating of ninety or more. You know, with sixteen consecutive games, and only Peyton Manning had a longer streak. Yeah. So, what's the take there? I mean, he's having a great year. He's got five touchdowns, no interceptions, quarterback rating of around one twelve. Um, just the take there, and, and how people are feeling about Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think that with Kirk Cousins, by now, everybody kind of knows exactly what you have there. Like, they know the strengths and the weaknesses. This is not Russell Wilson outside of the pocket. Uh, when he's got a clean pocket, when he's got time to throw, when he's in favorable situations like second and short, first and ten, third and short, he can operate as well as anybody in the league. But when anything goes a little awry, if Delvin Cook isn't running the football very well, if the offensive line's getting beat up a little bit, uh, that's when we start to see Cousins get a little shaky and a little panicky. And there's also the Cousins coaster that they call it here because he'll have the best month you've ever seen and he'll win player of the month and then he'll lead the league in interceptions the next month. And that's what happened last year. He started the season uh, kind of the opposite of this year, very poorly out of the gate, led the league in interceptions for the first six weeks and got his team to one and five. And I think the concern is that you had two very good games out of Kirk Cousins and you lost both of them. So if the Kirk Coaster has a dip against Seattle, for example, or Cleveland, who they play next week, I mean, these are must-win games now. And if he has one of those games where he just no-shows, um, you're talking about your season kind of being over if you get to 0-3 and definitely over if you get to 0-4. So I think that, uh, you know, there's always these Cousins debates that go on, but I think after you see enough of them, you kind of get why he's a 500 quarterback, but the ceiling, especially when he plays a questionable defense like Seattle, the ceiling is that Cousins can play extremely well. And I, I think that for this game, he should because of kind of the makeup of Seattle's defense. All right, let's talk about a guy who benefits directly from Kirk Cousins. Second-year guy, K.J. Osborne, is leading the team, 12 receptions, 167 yards, one touchdown. Have you guys been expecting this type of performance from this young man, or are you guys surprised at uh, his performance? No, I, you know, I think we weren't surprised because in OTAs, minicamp, training camp, he was just excellent. And, and the thing that happened was uh, Justin Jefferson got hurt in the training camp. He went down with an AC joint issue that has not been hindering him so far in the season, but uh, he had to sit out a couple of weeks with his shoulder injury, and that gave K.J. Osborne an opportunity to step into that uh, starting wide receiver role every day in practice, and we just saw him make play after play after play and said, like, I know this guy's a fifth rounder uh, and really only had one year of playing at a super high level with Miami. And yet um, we saw him, you know, stepping up to the challenge here. And this is something that the Vikings desperately needed because Irv Smith Jr. was supposed to be a huge part of this offense. And uh, Irv Smith got hurt with a knee injury that is keeping him out the entire season. So, um, you know, they needed someone to step up and they've had to adapt their offense from a two tight end offense now to a three wide offense. And if they didn't have Osborne, I don't know where they would be through these couple of weeks, and I think they may have found something uh, with Irv Smith going down and then, you know, K.J. having to step to the plate. Only got about a minute. Uh, I, I know, you know Dalvin Cook's got the sprained ankle. What's the, the status on him? Yeah, I think it's a little tricky. I, I mean, I think they're taking a lot of caution with it because uh, he hasn't practiced at all, and that's certainly a red flag. Um, usually you guys are limited if there's a chance that there's going, they're going to play. So we're going to find out tomorrow when we show up at practice. If he's practicing even on a limited basis, I think there's a great chance that he goes. And Mike Zimmer basically said, look, 
if he can play, you know, we're going to ride Dalvin Cook, and that's no secret. It's being let out to the Seattle Seahawks, but it's definitely something to watch because when Cook has been injured in the past and tried to play through it, it has not been the same guy. All right, great information there from Matthew Caller from the Purple Insider, man. We appreciate your time. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, yeah, he's been on a few times. Good, good, good call. Yeah, that's a great call right yeah. there. All right, when we return, we'll get on another great call, Moyer, because we're going to talk to defensive end Kerry Hyder. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to Hawks Live every Thursday. We'll be here, me, Michael Bumpus, and Paul Moyer. We also speak to a Seahawk every week, and this week we get to speak with Kerry Hyder. Kerry, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for joining us. I know you guys are getting ready to take on the Minnesota Vikings. And, man, my first question to you, man, I'm a California kid. And growing up, California, we all thought we played the best football. The older I get, the more I see them Texas boys is something else, man. What is it about Texas football? Hey, man, we just do it bigger and better in Texas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it from where we're from. <laughs> well, I, I, who, no, who, you, know, you know I'm biased, man. Oh, you got to be. Go ahead. Well, what's amazing is uh, we had uh, uh, Kyle Fuller on last week. And, matter of fact, I think our, our three guests so far this year, everybody's been from Texas. And uh, it, it is pretty amazing. So growing up, I mean, you're from Austin. It, I'm assuming you are a Longhorn fan. So you, how'd that whole recruiting process go for you? Uh, it wasn't cool, you know. Um, you know, you know. Growing up, you kind of always think about going there, but you know, I worked out for me. I'm going to Texas Tech, and uh, you know, kind of the best decision that happened for me. You know, growing up, growing up down the street, you know, you always kind of envision yourself going to that other school. But uh, at the end of the day, I was just happy I ended up going to Texas Tech. Now, Kerry, you've had a, a nice journey in the NFL. Um, you moved on from Dallas in 2018, then you have a breakout season in 2020. Uh, with the 49ers, what happened? Like, what clicked in your game? Was it something that you've always had in you that you're just waiting to really show the world? What clicked with you to allow you to play so greatly? Well, you know, the NFL is full of great players, man. It's just a lot of times it comes down to opportunity. When you get the opportunity to play, man, you just got to give it your all. You know, everyone, every team has talent. You know, when you get the opportunity, you got to show your stuff. And I, I got an opportunity to play. You know, they had some guys go down. And I just thrust into the starting lineup, and I just I was ready for that moment. I think everybody thought the 49ers were going to resign you, um, and there were some things that went down there. How did you end up being a Seahawk? I know there's a lot of stories on that one. Um, you know, it's, it's a competitive game, and uh, you know, teams are always trying to make themselves better and that kind of thing. And, uh, Seattle came calling, you know. Um, you know, that kind of you kind of thought you were going to end up somewhere, but with this business, you never know for sure where you're going to end up, especially through free agency. And uh, Seattle came calling, and it seemed like a perfect fit for me. All right, Kerry, you guys took a, a tough loss to the Titans, a game that I know you guys felt like you could have won. What's the vibe like in VMAG? What's the approach of this week? Uh, next week, you know, uh, we watched your tape. You know, we, you know, as a group, we kind of felt like we could let one get away. We didn't finish a game strong, but uh, we're really focused on this week. We really want to, um, you know, get back on track and just play four quarters. You know, we, you know, we played a good half last week, but we just didn't finish a game. So this week, we just focused on just playing four four, four quarters and and finishing out with a win. 
I know last week obviously it didn't go the way you guys wanted to, but what was it like uh, finally playing in front of uh, the Twelves at, at Lumen Field? That you know that can maybe even compared a little to where, where San Francisco versus the Seahawks with a home crowd. You know, I know it's hard for the offense to communicate when you know the crowd is as loud as it is. But for a defensive player, it was new for me. I I couldn't hear my players next to me. I couldn't hear Bobby talking. I couldn't hear those things. So that was the first time for me out there and really hearing the twelves like that. And man, it was electric out there. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear the person next to me out there. So that's you know you can't you can't really prepare for it. You just got to get into it. You know. I right, carry. I'm a I'm a Cali kid. Like I, I mentioned, I grew up watching Kobe Bryant. My second son, his name is Kobe Bryant. Now mm-hmm. I see that Kobe reached out yeah, to right. you after your injury, man. What was that like having conversations with Kobe? Man, he just did the sniggy knows you, but man, it, it it made my whole day. I didn't, you know, I was kind of down that day and just kind of, you know, I guess he was saying my feelings a little bit. So when he reached out to me, man, I got to tell you, he just put a little pep in my step. It just kind of you know, you know, you're, somebody you look up to and somebody you watch all the time reach out to you like that, man. You just you can't do nothing but put a little fire under you. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it, you, you came off an Achilles injury. He had had an Achilles injury. So how was how did he call you? How was that whole thing set up? Well, I, no, it, it wasn't a call. I, I, I really just I tweeted like, okay. I'm going to you know, channel my mama and my mama mentality, and he. Uh, and he just reached out and quoted the tweet and put the snake emoji. <laughs> oh, I, I never talked to him or anything like that, but just him reaching out like that, man, it did a lot for me. Just one little one little emoji changed my whole day, my perspective. Man, I love it. I you love better it. you better a screenshot and kept that one because <laughs> that's uh that's oh, pretty. Oh yeah, special. I have that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kerry, what's the the defensive room like? You know, every room has its personalities. The DBs, I got Moya here. Those DBs are the cockiest dudes on the team. No, they're just the best they, looking. They ones. say the receivers are divas. What's that D line room like? Oh uh, man, we got, I feel like we bunch of room full of jokes. <laughs> like we, you know, you know. Of course, we know when it's time to get serious. But uh, and we're always cracking on each other. We're always pushing each other. Man, it's a great group. You know, we want to see each other succeed. But we're constantly cracking on each other. We're constantly trying to push each other on the field. So I gotta say, I gotta say, you probably got the funniest room out of everybody. <laughs> we're visiting with Carrie uh, Hyder. Um, I'm going to take you in a little different direction. You, you are a very good athlete, but as you know, you've got another athlete in the in the household, and your wife Jasmine, who was the Pac-10, actually Pac-12. I, for some reason, I read Pac-10, but Pac-12, 400 meter hurdler. Um, what, what, how did you guys meet? She went to my school, Arizona State, so I'm a Sun Devil, so I've got a lot of love for her there. But uh, share how you guys met. Well, my senior year in college, she was uh, she was helping out with the track team. You know, she was running professionally, and her coach that recruited her to Arizona State was actually coaching the tech. So when she when she uh, went to tech, she moved to Lubbock and was training for the uh, 400 hurdles and. I was happy to run into it, you know. And after I ran into it, that's all she wrote, you know. <laughs> I gotta. I know you've been asked this a million times, but I gotta ask: can, can you beat her? Can you beat her in a race? Between me and you, yep. You know, I think I can. I think I can get her, but <laughs> I ain't gonna never have, that on, I ain't gonna never have it on tape. But I'm gonna keep talking. I'm gonna keep talking. I ain't gonna never actually race it. 
<laughs> that means she's not in the room next to you. So you can say you can say those things, and and you got a you got a daughter who's right, right about six years old as well, and I know that's got to keep you really preoccupied in your free time. Oh yeah, man. Whenever I'm not playing football, I'm on dad duty, just trying to you know do my part. You know, during the season, it's hard to get the the time you want to get in, so I try to maximize my time at home and try to spend time with my family whenever I can. I feel you, man. You need a woman to hold you down, most definitely. Uh, now let's talk about these Vikings real quick, man. When when you look at this film, what do you see in the Minnesota Vikings? A physical bunch, you know. Uh, they, obviously, Dalvin Cook is a great running back, and uh, it's going to take a team effort. You know, we just can't. You know, he's a lot like Derrick Henry in a lot of ways, where he can, you know, he can hit the home run ball and again make a lot of plays. So uh, a lot of the offense runs through him. So we just, you know, it's, it's going to take a group effort. You know, we we'll have to stop the run and. Russian coverage got to work together. You know, I know this kind of sounds like something people say every week, but, uh, you know, that's the basis of defense. You got to stop the run and you got to get out to the quarterback whenever we can. Well, you got, again, last week wasn't how you wanted it. Um, what is Tell the Truth Monday like? I mean, this is your first year there. Supposedly it's a, it's a very open and let's be honest with each other. Yeah, what, what came out of Monday's meeting for you guys? Because you guys are too talented defensively, you know, to, to, to have 200 yards on you. Well, we just, you know, just got to do better at finishing four quarters. You know, we, teams are too good in this league for us to beat ourselves. So there's an opportunity for us to make the play or not do something to cause something negative. We got to we gotta do it because, you know, we let a good team like that stay in it too long and we can make some little mistakes. They're going to capitalize on it. So looking at ourselves in the mirror and letting us know that, you know, like, hey, we played, we played a decent game, but we got to play four quarters. We can't just give games away like that, especially in the league. That's a great thing about the NFL, Kerry. You always bounce back the following week, man. We expect you guys to do that. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. Thank the wife. Kiss the baby girl for us, man. You have a good night. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. You have a good night. All right. That was Kerry Hyder. When we return, we're going to talk to the professor. I'm going to ask him about this Thursday night football game. Are the Hawks still contenders? Moyer has some questions for him as well. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. It is 745. That means we're going to talk to the professor, John Klain. John, no funk music for you today, but we know what time it is. Absolutely. Time to get into the funk. (laughs) Time to get into it. All right, John, are you watching this Thursday night football game? Unfortunately. I'm I'm looking at Sam Donald, John. He is... 20 for 29, 262 yards. Do you think this guy can resurrect his career so early, I guess, in his career and, and really have a good a good career overall? A good career. I don't know if he's going to have a great career. I don't think he's going to live up his, to being the third pick in the draft. I mean, because, again, I mean, you can see some inconsistencies in his game. But, again, I think you can see that you know he's certainly better now in Carolina than he was with Adam Gaze in the New York Jets. I mean, he's, you know, you can see his running ability. It's a shame that that holding penalty by number 75 took away the uh, 33-yard run because that would have helped. But, again, it's like uh, you're playing the Houston Texans team, and I, you know, if I had to just walk down before, they made the field goal, right? So it's 17. 
Yep, yeah, seventeen six. Seventeen six. So it's like uh, you know, at least they were able to. Uh, you know, they're not scoring enough points against a bad Houston team that basically has absolutely and totally no offense. With that being said, though, John, I mean they're about to go three and zero, Carolina. Yeah, and they did beat. They blew out New Orleans, who blew out mm-hmm. you know Green Bay. I mean, again, another weird year of NFL football. It's you know, what have you done for me lately? But you know, would that be the surprise team uh, so far this year if they go three and zero? I had to do a thing for the Washington Post this year or this last week where I had to rate the seven and zero teams, and I rated them number seven, and I said that they had a chance to be one of the surprise teams in the league. Now, I think we need to see more. In fact, I even suggested that, uh, you know, I uh, if, if they won, and I don't know, I might need to have another week just to make sure, but it's like I actually suggested that, uh, you know, I do a story next week for The Post with uh, Scott uh, Fitterin, uh, just Fitterer to basically uh, talk about where this team is because, you know, Darnold, of all the quarterback acquisitions, and now we're up to, what, 14 new quarterbacks in the league, looks to be among the best. And that looks good. And then uh, you can see that uh, Phil Snow uh, is just amazing with his blitz packages and everything else. He's their defensive coordinator. Nobody knows who he is, but Phil Snow's the one who's designing these blitz packages, and they're much better on offense. And so it's like, uh, you know, it's not maybe showing tonight, but again, I, I like this team. All right, John, I'm going to shift over to the Seattle Seahawks. Tyler Lockett is having a great year, 12 receptions, 278 yards, three touchdowns. I know it's early, but do you think that he can keep this pace up and be the Seahawks' number one receiver throughout the year? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't think not. I mean, again, you know, technically you can always say, even though Metcalf has had big numbers and big plays downfield, that Tyler Lockett has been the number one receiver all along. You know, it's like uh, – both of them, I mean, you know, Metcalf certainly gets the you know accolades because he's so big and he makes so many big plays and all that stuff. But I think that you weigh the the big plays that Lockett makes and the incredible runs that he has puts him in a rare spot. I mean, he's been in the NFL top 100 now for the NFL Network for what uh, two three years, and he's been a Pro Bowl alternate for several several years. You know, the way he's going right now, particularly if he get over 100 catches, you know, because again, say what you want, it's like he did have more catches last year than uh, DK Metcalf, and I wouldn't, you know, it's like, sure, you can maybe make the argument that both are number ones, but right now you'd have to say that uh, I, I still think you consider Tyler Lockett the number one receiver on the team, even though DK Metcalf has so much more talent. It's interesting. You get into your, you know, second, third year. You got, you got to adjust. And then DK's finding out again. It, it adjusts. He did last year. But mm-hmm. let's let's talk about something that uh, again I thought hurt the Seahawks. We didn't have a lot of injuries last week, but I thought we had some key ones, particularly on the defensive line. Brian Monet, you know, <laughs> tough running game. Where are we with some injuries right now? Well, I mean, right now it certainly looks questionable as far as Brandon Shell at uh, right tackle because he didn't practice today because of the ankle injury. You know, uh, still. You wonder about uh, Dwayne uh, Estridge because, again, you know, a concussion should be okay after one week, but he's still been struggling a little bit with that, so that's going to be in question. You know, Damian Lewis sounds like he's in better shape now. He's limited, but again, that means he's probably going to be questionable. But he's got to be much better than he was last week, where he had to alternate with uh, Jamarco Jones. But overall, I mean, Rashad Penny obviously is not going to be able to play. And so uh, they're not in too bad of a shape, I think, as far as their injuries. You know, we'll see where they are with, uh, you know, Freddie Swain. You know, Swain has the back injury, but he was limited today. And I can't imagine a back injury is going to keep uh, a fast receiver out of a game. 
John, the NFL did a great job a couple years back allowing team celebrations, having mm. fun, right? Mm-hmm. They were the no-fun league. Then they mess up. They get a pass interference-type call in there where guys can challenge that. They messed that up. They fixed that. So now it's the taunting, right? The overemphasis on taunting. Do you think this is something that the NFL is going to stick with or they're going to make right eventually? Right now they're going to stick with it because they're stubborn. And, uh, you know, and each year they'll come up with some you know, rule change that's absolutely dumb, and this one's really dumb. I mean, here's the thing that's so bad about this. It's like, okay, so now you have a taunting penalty, particularly something that's really innocent that's not going to cause a fight, you know, just like uh, you know, DJ Reed and his you know, little c- celebration that he was turning was like, was that celebrating himself? Was he trying to show up the receiver who dropped the ball? And I don't think he was showing up the receiver who dropped the ball. But here's the stupid part of it to add to the fact that they're doing doing this 15 yards I know. 15 yards for a taunting penalty you're making this the same as you know knocking down the quarterback knocking you know a roughing roughing a, a running back you know helmet type hits i mean you're making a taunting penalty where there's no contact and making it a 15 yard penalty now there's been 11 of them and i think what the seahawks have about 20 percent of them but to me it's a, it's a waste of time and again you know penalties right now are at the stage where uh, you know they've increased you know maybe about 10 to 15 percent they're at 235 after two weeks and uh you know the taunting penalties add to it and it's crazy john i don't even know if you know this quite but i'll I'll ask it yeah um because when i think of rules like this like uh, the the, i don't want to say targeting but you know if you hit somebody too hard in the nfl now you know particularly defensively hits offensive guys like receivers they throw a penalty i get that because you're trying to protect a player and the fans while they don't like it the NFL is going to go, I get it, but we've got a bigger goal here. The taunting one isn't about safety, and the fans hate it. Mm-hmm. So I don't really get why wouldn't they go right now, middle of the year, go, this is a dumb thing. Let's let's. We don't have to change the rule because they really didn't change the rule. All we're doing is emphasizing it now. Mm-hmm. Just say it, refs. <clears throat> let's take the emphasis off. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think they will because I think that they're going to be stubborn about this. Yeah. You know, once they make a decision, you know, they stuck with the uh, you know the stupid uh, defensive interference rule and that challenge and all that stuff until uh, the entire season until it went to the NFC Championship game against the Rams and the Saints had a call that should have gone their way but didn't and uh, they end up not going to the Super Bowl and out of, out of that they said, well, gee, this cost the uh, Saints a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Let's take that rule away. And in this case. I mean, you're getting too many penalties. And again, 15 yards for taunting. Yeah. And then not, not only 15 yards, but you now you put the player one half of the way from being ejected. It's, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Let's Minnesota real quick. 0-2. Oh mm-hmm. Zimmer's probably taking some heat here. Pretty good football team, John. I yeah. mean, going on the road, this is our home opener. You know, just your, your thoughts on how, how good of a team we're about to face who is actually 0 2. Yeah, I think they're average because obviously they've got a pass rush, particularly with Daniil Hunter, who's one of the best in the league, and they've got really good linebackers, but they're really shaky in the secondary. And that's been the way for the last couple of years. I mean, you think about the fact that, uh, you know, what they've in the last like three years, four years, they've drafted two first round picks at cornerback, and they're no longer with the team. 
And that's bad. And so it's like, I mean, last year they were so young at line at cornerback that they were just getting carved up. And I think they're still at the stage right now where they're vulnerable at the cornerback position. So that that has to be a concern. And then they continue to not do well on the offensive line. Then the other weird part, and I have to double check this because I know that uh, you know there was a stat out there that actually was wrong that said the only two teams in the league that have not played uh, draft choices or even had a draft choice snap was Seattle and Minnesota. But obviously, Dwayne Eskridge has been on the field, so he's been out there. But the Vikings had 11 draft choices. I know that, uh, you know, Darisol, the uh, tackle, he's hurt, and they've had a couple other injuries. But how can you draft 11 players and not play them? All right, John, it's that time. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, what's going on with Josh Gordon. Ooh. Okay, yeah. what's going on with Josh Gordon? Well, Josh Gordon, of course, uh, as Adam Schefter has been reporting for more than two weeks, has been passing every one of his drug tests. So he's all set to come back in the league. The question's going to be when. Now, if you ask the Seahawks, they will have no word is that if they're interested in signing him, if they're not interested in signing him, because obviously he burned him twice with two suspensions. So it's like, we don't know that. But here's the key, and follow follow where I'm going on this. Guess where Josh Gordon continues to live? Bellevue. Seattle. Hmm. Okay. And so my read is early next week, he's going to be reinstated. And if that is the case, and you're Seattle, I mean, and he can talk his way onto the roster, I, mean, I think what you can see is that Josh Gordon will be on the practice squad. He may, Obviously, he's not going to play next in the Thursday night game against the Rams. But also, he puts himself in a position that you know, at some point after a couple of weeks, he can emerge and challenge for the number three receiver spot. You know, if Michael Bumpus had Josh Gordon's body, he'd still be playing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gas. John, we call that gas, John Gas. Hey, John, we appreciate your time, man. We will talk to you on Sunday. You have a good night. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, John. All right, that was John Clayton. When we return, it's time to talk that talk. We'll pick some topics, and Paul Moore and I will square up. Maybe Tyler Lockett, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins. You have to tune in to find out that's next right here on Hawks Live. 